Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. Episode 31, Acne, Hormones, and Antibiotics? Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to another podcast episode of Fusion Health Radio. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Michael, how are you today? Uh, good. Stoked to do the pet podcast, but also a little sore from making gardens and really tired because I was up all night doing something. So Yeah, it's, this is our uh, usual uh, podcast recording. We record early, early on a Sunday morning and uh, both Michael and I are dragging our respective keisters <laughs> into the studio today uh, for various reasons. Michael, you said you were, um, did I hear you right? Praying or something last night? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I was doing what's called a prayer vigil, which is basically you light a candle or sit by a fire. I would have mother much ra- rather have been outside by a fire, but I was inside with a candle. And um, you're allowed to rest. You just try not to fall asleep or at least not plan on sleeping for long. And you just hold that person in your mind. And the person that I'm praying for right now uh, it's going to be for another three days, although I'm only staying up one night. And so, sorry, the, the prayer visual is uh, you just sort of praying with, I guess, uh, intention for one person in this case? Uh, well, I mean, you could do it for the entire planet or, you know, I guess if you're a racist, one race in particular. <laughs> uh, right now it's for a friend who's in Costa Rica, who's uh, in an aboga ceremony, which is the most potent and in a way kind of the most drawn out and intense uh, therapeutic hallucinogen or psychoactive uh, plant on the, in the world. It's actually got a 96% recovery rate with heroin addiction. Well, if she's that far away, do you think she's actually tuned into your intention, your your prayers? Uh, I've heard it said that, um, you know, I've had, I've had the experience myself that when people are, people are praying for me, if I'm in some kind of need, uh, you definitely feel something happening. Um, I've done this for lots of other people and for various reasons, and it doesn't give me magic powers. I think this is true for every living conscious being. So that if, if I'm in prayer for someone or holding space or doing some kind of ceremony, and sometimes that includes singing songs and doing other things, uh, it's more often than not that even if that person doesn't know that I'm doing that for them, that I get a phone call or an email or uh, something saying, yeah, I had this really weird dream or this really weird experience with you in it. And sometimes that does, you know, shift things for people a little bit. And this is about as, I don't know, right brain and woo-woo as you can get. I mean, there's people who practice things like Qigong and Reiki and other things where they actually, you know, deal with people on the other side of the planet. And I think you actually mentioned you've had an experience like that too. I've had that as well. I mean, nothing directly with prayer, I suppose, but uh, uh, I guess energy healing work uh, at a distance where um, I was actually on the phone with somebody and they were doing whatever they were doing. And I was, uh, laying down in bed, uh, like a jumping bean, just sort of twitching and itching and, and spasming and all that sort of stuff as they were, uh, unplugging and smoothing out all the wrinkles <laughs> in my, I don't know what the heck you would want to call it. My chi, my aura, my soul, something, <laughs> um, was, uh, the, the first sort of time that I actually, uh, officially had done something like that. Um, I think I may have experienced something like that in the past on my own and not really knowing what the heck was going on, but, um, yeah, uh, very, very potent stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so anyway, so this person's down in, in this thing. She's not actually a heroin addict or anything like that. She's just very, very curious and wants to see, um, obviously, what that experience is going to do for her. And uh, going through the iboga ceremony is actually something on my bucket list uh, probably very soon, just because I'm talking to more and more people about it and hearing what they're experiencing. And so, sorry, spell it for me. Uh, iboga, I-B-O-G-A. It's I-boga. often, it's often, the alkaloids often referred to as ibogaine. Okay. Uh, and it's extracted from a kind of a small tree shrub in Africa. Hmm. And it's been used there for 10,000 years as sort of a rite of passage for people. Um, and in, in that culture, they say that once you do this, you've, you're going to basically knock a hole in your head. And uh, sometimes they'll... In, in a good way. Well... <laughs> symbolisms lots of ways you can take it but uh in in that particular tribe they they put you on in the ceremony and uh, they even do this with westerners who come to like participate in their ceremony and in the middle of the ceremony when you're you know 20 hours into drooling and lying on the floor and you know probably sitting there next to your own puddle of vomit and people are checking on you to make sure you're not gonna hurt yourself they actually come up and just wait until they feel it's the right time and then they hit you in the head with a hammer a hammer. Yeah, not hard enough to hurt you, but symbolically to just say, and now we mote it to be that this hole is now in your head and you can share this voice that all the people who've taken this medicine find in themselves, which is considered by you know, Western people often called the voice of God or your particular uh, ability to hear a voice that's just pure love, wisdom, patience, compassion, and kindness. I'll go into it just a bit. So you take his medicine, and I haven't done this, but I've heard lots of people talk about it. And the most consistent thing that people experience, um, we can go a lot of other ways, I'm sure, but what people report is you start having this really weird kind of fluid experience of traveling back through your life, like from today to yesterday. to, And then you slow down that little reminiscing kind of thing at any point in your life where you have felt harmed by someone or something. And then you spend time recapitulating the, you know, any grudges, any misunderstanding, you know, obviously any pain or shame or guilt or whatever you're carrying. And you do that all the way back to the moment you're born. And some people say even before that. And then once you've done that and cleaned off your life in the sense of what's, I don't know, chewed you up and spit you out, then you go back through your life from the moment you're born and you recapitulate every everything you've ever done that's harmed another person. And when you're going through each of these um, you could say conversations with yourself, the voice you end up listening to is the voice that's within you that is completely free of BS, that is completely potent and aware and in a way imminently uh, hopeful that you're going to actually listen and take on that kind of truth as you. So uh, I've heard it spoken to other ways as well, but I just think it's a really interesting opportunity to actually recognize that what would happen if you had no sense of negativity, uh, even to negative experiences in your past, and no sense of shame or guilt for negative experiences that you've maybe imposed on other people because you truly got the lesson. Hmm. I'm uh, I'm curious to see how um, our listeners are trying to wrap their mind around the topic of acne, hormones, <laughs> antibiotics, and iboga. Um, I, I didn't sleep at all last night, so <laughs> if I'm hypomanic or just really like, uh, my eyes are pointing different directions, it's not my not my plan. Anyway, yeah. so well, acne, interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good segue. So, but anyways, I mean, yeah, the conversation around iboga. So here's something that's totally 
Um, let's see if this is a segue. Um, number one, I think we should talk more about this uh, once you learn more about it. Uh, and that'll be in another podcast. Uh, in this particular podcast, uh, we're talking about um, uh, acne and I guess some way of treating it that I guess in, just from the way that I read the title, hormones and antibiotics, really? For acne? There's some kind of questioning there. So yeah. to, 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 go from, to, to, to go from, you know, plant medicine to, um, I don't know, chemical-laden kind of uh, guy in a white lab coat trying to figure out what to do with the zits on your forehead <laughs> kind of medicine, uh, here, here, here we are um, turning, turning the page into something a little bit more uh, dry and technical. Are you up for this conversation? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get into it. Um, the, 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 why did you name the podcast the way that you did? So I've had acne since I was probably 12. And I'm one of the people who unfortunately took tetracycline for a couple of years, which did what it was supposed to do <clears throat> uh, in, in a way. I don't think it ever really completely resolved it. And when I came off of it, it, it you know, came back with a vengeance anyway. Um, is that uh, tetracycline? I can't remember if that was an antibiotic. Was that the fancy name for uh, zit medicine you could get over the counter, or was that nope. a prescription? It's a prescription antibiotic, and it's it's still used by some clinicians. But honestly, the reason I came off of it is they started recognizing all these really negative things happening, like the roots of your teeth turning brownish yellow and you know other stuff. And were you eating the stuff, or was it just actually affecting your whole face as you put it on there? I swallow one pill every day. I can't remember the dosage. Oh, okay. It was, it was so, 12. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm picturing this topical stuff that was actually ruining your teeth. Uh, actually, no, there's other stuff that would be uh, more commonly used topically. But um, the reason I kind of wanted to do this with a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title is, um, so honestly, this was like three weeks ago. I'm in a car with a medical doctor. We're driving to some four-off panel where we're going to speak about medical cannabis. And so we're stuck in a car together. And we've known each other for years and having our fun chats about all things cannabis and all things doctor and all things whatever. We do our thing and then we're driving home. And for whatever reason, we get into this weird conversation where it's a bit of what up, Mitch, or <laughs> upmanship or something. And I mentioned trying something for acne and he kind of made this really weird off offhand comment. Well, of course, that's going to make it worse without saying you idiot, but the air quotes of parentheses of you're an idiot. That would just clog up your pores and that's what causes acne. So here I am sitting in this car three weeks ago, driving home with this, you know, well, maybe bruised ego or whatever, but going like, um, no, that wouldn't have clogged my pores. And I don't understand if clogging pores is what causes acne, at least from a Western doctor's point of view. Why is it most children, teenagers, are taking, you know, the pill and or tetracycline and, the, and or other kinds of um, those kind of antibiotics to treat clogged pores? Hmm. You magically take antibiotics and or, you know, uh, something that changes your reproductive hormone status and your acne goes away. Uh, uh, that doesn't add up for you. And hence the hormones? Antibiotics? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It just seems to me there's a bit of a gap in in the way we think about it, and obviously, um, the other reason is that if things like hormonal regulation and or changing your microbiome with antibiotics is so effective in resolving acne, and there's so much to acne, it's crazy. Um, that should be the go-to resolution for everybody is, well, what's wrong with my hormones and what's wrong with my microbiome that it's producing this kind of acne? Because clearly it's not just clogged pores. Right. Okay. So before we get too far, uh, I'm sure there's somebody out there listening who may not be a long-time listener. Oh. 
microbiome? Microbiome is basically the combination of what are called favorable species of bacteria, commensal species of bacteria, and pathological or pathogenic species of bacteria. So there's, let's say, about an, on average, maybe 800 to 1,000 individual species of little tiny critters that run around inside your tummy. The entire ecology or community is called your microbiome, and the number of possible variations is profound. I mean, we've mentioned this before, but I think if we're going to get into the gut again, we might as well just bring up the picture of the gut. So, you know, your stomach, your large intestine, your little ileocecal valve, your large intestine, and kind of like a submarine, there, those, those are different compartments, you know. So in your stomach, you have a very specific ecology. In your small intestine, it's different uh, and gradually getting more complex. And your large intestine is basically mostly bugs. So um, when you look at your microbiome, it just has relative ratios and relative um, volumes of po populations. There's a microbiome on your skin. There's a microbiome pretty much everywhere. Okay. That's the long answer for microbiome. Thank you. Um, so, and that's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> because people are listening to this because they want to know more about how things work under the hood here, right? Yeah. So uh, if the microbiome is off, um, we get acne. Is that the sort of short uh, version of this podcast? <laughs> well, the, the thing that we have, you know, we've talked in the past about what people call the gut-brain axis, where so right. much of what's going on in your microbiome changes the biochemistry and the nutrient status and health and inflammation in your brain. There's also what I would call your gut, um, your gut-skin axis, you know, uh, it could be your gut-skin-brain axis, your gut-skin-hormone axis, your gut-skin-immune axis, depending on what you're focusing on. But it's to recognize that these things are communicating with each other, and there's going to be some noise and interference depending on your you know, experience of stress, your tolerance to stress, obviously your diet, if you have taken antibiotics, if you drink a lot of alcohol, if you've had any kind of head injury, I mean, if you've got serious fevers, uh, vaccinations. Hmm. So... Um the way my mind works, and you know this on the podcast, I'm always trying to listen to what you say and try to paraphrase it back to you in plain English. So if what I just heard, tell me tell me if this is what I just heard, that if things aren't working uh, inside, um, they start to show up on the outside. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have said that more like a hillbilly. Yep. <laughs> um, so if my, uh, if my gut and all of the critters that live inside of me um, are connected to all the critters that live on the outside of me, um, and they're kind of like not talking to each other or pissed off at each other or whatever, um, that's going to present itself as all kinds of skin conditions. Uh, in this case, we're talking specifically about acne. So is there any, um, is there any one, um, uh, argument that goes on between my gut and my skin, uh, that acne is actually, um, the result of? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that question because... And I wish I could give you a hug right now, but that's going to always be the wrong question. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and and I'm, I'm so glad you said that because that, that's where we all get blindsided because we're looking for the magic bullet, the golden fleece, the thing that if I can just give that one thing there and tie it to the wall, it's going to stop biting me in the butt. Hmm. Okay. I'm and really tired because I'm doing my impressions <laughs> badly. <laughs> Um, so as it always is in functional medicine and Chinese medicine, uh, we're trying to focus on using instead of just always causation, you know, statistical double blind stuff, which that's handy, but it's, it's also myopic. 
So instead of just focusing on pure causation, it's good to look at correlation. You know, so we can see several different kinds of changes in your microbiome that might produce slightly different forms of acne, and there's you know almost a dozen. Um, there's changes in what we call leaky gut. So now you're pooping literally into your bloodstream. So that's probably going to come out of your face a little bit too. And we can get into the mechanisms of that. Uh, depending on how healthy your liver is at getting rid of inflammation and free radicals and the metabolites of swelling and pus and, sorry, it's acne. Ooh. Um, you have to just sort of like do a little bit of fun math, you know, like say from a Chinese medicine point of view, it's like, is this heat, is it toxic heat, is it dampness or damp heat, is it turning into what we call tan or phlegm? Uh, is it because of blood deficiency or what we would call blood heat or, you know, other things around the superficial function of your immune system? But it's always going to be a little bit of everybody. Hmm. And in everybody, until you're doing lab tests, I think it's best to focus on a little bit of helping everybody. It's like if you've got a family and you're all in a car and you're not getting along very well, I think everybody's got to get along for everyone to get along or else there's always going to be that one person out. Interesting. So um, the... The ideas that you wanted to share around acne and, uh, I guess, um, gut health, if that's um, the sort of shortcut to um, uh, the whole topic that we're on about today, um, is there uh, a place you want to start with that then? I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm coming at you uh, saying it wrong, I'm just going to shut up and say, <laughs> where, do, where do we start? <laughs> Well, I mean, that that's, as as we've been, you know, doing this podcast, we're now at 31 episodes, high five, <laughs> which has been really, really a, a great experience so far. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've come to the habit of just sort of organizing information that's a little bit more like an essay, just so that if people aren't familiar with the topic, they can start at the beginning and work their way into the, you know, milieu or the sea of facts and fun and statistics and stuff. So... When you look at acne, you know, and as we learn more about how it works, it's always been around. You look at ancient tribal cultures and you can see different ways that they've uh, associated it. Uh, for some of them, they actually try and develop it by putting things into their pores to actually make scars happen so that they thicken up in a way that leaves these, you know, in some cultures experience, and I think so as well, very beautiful shapes, kind of like Maori tattoos. Mm -hmm. um, uh and things like that, but it's done by stuffing, you know, dirt and ash into the pores of your face until they get really big and infected. Um, the earliest actual, like, written historical medical evidence goes back to Egypt, where they were actually aware that, like, you know, Tutankhamun and these uh, other pharaohs and stuff, when you take apart their mummies, it's like there's evidence of scar tissue and acne. And so uh, evidence of um, that being a deliberate sort of body decoration of sorts. Uh, not, I'm not sure, actually. I, I, I don't recall it being described that way. It was more just saying, look, even the pharaohs had acne. Right. Well, yeah. but I mean, he was a punk anyways, right? He was only 18. Well, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he's a pharaoh. I mean, come on. He's supposed to have magic powers. <laughs> he's the son of Ra. Come on. Son of Dad. <laughs> don't take my picture. I got a zit on my nose. <laughs> Carve my picture tomorrow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um. Okay, yeah. so, so that that's the earliest thing. The next thing you see is um, in the Roman Legion because there's, you know, those people were pretty OCD about getting the most out of their soldiers and slaves. Uh, they developed a, a therapeutic thing using sulfur-infused sort of hot baths and stuff. Uh, so if you had any kind of concerns around that and, and you were doing talking to the physico and I need some help and 
maybe uh, I want more acne to scare the enemy or I want less acne to <laughs> not scare the enemy. I don't know. But uh, that's actually been the standard of uh, practice for serious acne up until like 100 years ago. Sorry. Uh, standard practice. S- sulfur-infused baths. Huh. Wow. It's like 2,000 years of, well, dunk your head in that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, does that even work? Uh, well, it's definitely going to change the... Um, I mean, sulfur is kind of like a minor little brother to what antibiotics do. And it also supports a certain uh, very fundamental clearance function in your liver. So it does a lot of other stuff too. But I think just when you look at the physiology of acne, without even knowing what sulfur is, it's you know clearly going to impact the physiology of that process pretty directly. I can't see that being a really optimum thing. And I get the feeling from... I don't know my experience in trying to get patients to use more sulfur-based foods and then seeing all the side effects. I can imagine that, I mean, there's no statistics on sulfur baths from ancient Rome, but I can guess that probably at least 30% of people who tried that actually probably had a really negative side effect. Hmm. A negative side effect would be the fact that you stink like rotten eggs or farts. Um, probably that and a few other things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sulfur, bleh. Rashes, headaches, if you're a woman, menstrual cramps, you know, like. In digestion. Right. So if uh, that's been the approach up until about 100 years ago, where did it go from there? Um, more topical stuff, experiments with, um, you know, just extracts, you know, extracts and ointments has been the, the biggest part of it because obviously it's a skin thing. Uh, I'm going to get into the treatments as they work specifically kind of, I don't know, when we get into that part of the conversation because it'll make more sense when you're, you understand why you're doing stuff. Right. But, you know, I, I was looking up the statistics on acne just because I was curious, like, you know, worldwide, what is it? And uh, I think it was PubMed or uh, WebMD or something like that was just basically saying, well, right now, if you do all the math on average of all the people in the world right now who are actually suffering with acne, it's almost 10%. Hmm. And is that, uh, is that a high number? Uh, not at all, actually. So I started, you know, researching it, you know, just more than statistics of acne. (laughs) And you dig into it and um, depending on race, depending on the rate at which you're changing your lifestyle and diet, um, that's going to, you know, uh, change enough of the background function of your body that you are at a higher risk for acne. Chronic stress, higher risk. Immune system problems, higher risk. Overuse of antibiotics and alcohol, higher risk. And as it turns out, anyone between like 14 and 24, it's like I think 80%. Um, yeah, about 80, 85% of people in that age bracket are going to experience some kind of acne at some degree of severity. Wow. So are there people who just don't get acne? Uh, yeah, there are people that just don't get it. Hmm. But I mean, um, you know, you had mentioned something about race or, or that sort of thing. But I mean, is there a part of the world where... They've never seen a zit? I don't think that that's going to happen because um, there's just so much going on that, you know, if we think of the immune system and the liver and a bunch of other parts of the physiology of our species as wheels on a car, you can only have so many loose wheels before it's going to turn into acne no matter what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, so when I look at racial populations in the sense of race, and I tried to find if there was some statistics on that, and it was really, not known. I wouldn't even say correlative. It was just, well, maybe this, maybe that. So no one's really done that deep research where I couldn't find it. 
But what you do see is races that are going from pre-industrial cultural habits and diets and lifestyles and, and you know, use of technology. The groups that are going from more rural, kind of third world industrial countries moving into more, you know, first world lifestyles, diets and behaviors. The rate at which acne becomes prolific, especially in adolescence, is terrifying. But it's also just one of those kind of things. It's almost like a badge, you know, look at us, man, we're... Uh, trying to be like Hollywood and we're changing all of our lifestyle. We live on Pop-Tarts and look at all this acne, man. I'm such a modern guy or girl. Well, I've, I've heard and read that before in um, uh, T. Colin Campbell's book, the um, China study. Uh, and they call it the disease, disease of affluence, where um, a lot of the indigenous people, I think it was somewhere in Southeast Asia that we're talking about, how they uh, were starting to present. Um, once they started introducing the more Western diet, um, which uh, was totally different than their um, uh, their cultural diet, uh, rice and veggies and a little bit of meat, and all of a sudden they started to get refined grains and other sorts of things in their diet um, that Western people like to eat, sugar, pop, soda, whatever. Um, uh, the rates of liver cancer started to really skyrocket. Like, literally, they, they, they could, you know, they could say, okay, liver cancer is going to go up because they're delivering bread today. Like They, they, yeah, could, yeah. they, could, they could measure it like that, right? Um so it's, it sounds like it's the same sort of thing in this case. Yeah, I mean, the, you look at Weston A. Price and, and all these other researchers that are going back to the, the whole ancestral diet meme, which is, I think we're doing this wrong. And, you know, Weston Price's work is interesting because he actually was a dentist and he was looking at the change in the structure, the anatomical structure of your skull and teeth and could demonstrate that within four generations of your indigenous people now being in a slum of some eurocentric economy village or whatever within four generations you're going to look like the amorphous modern human instead of you know say a blackfoot warrior from you know 1820 mm -hmm. and you I mean, look at the bone structure of really really deep you know long past indigenous people they, they have an unbelievably recognizable bone structure and that can basically turn into modern face in four generations yeah wow uh the uh he's also canadian price mm -hmm. yeah i'm not just saying that because we are <laughs> and most of the people who are listening hello california aren't you're right <laughs> <laughs> um uh, interesting stuff so uh getting back to the idea of, of acne then if uh if diseases of affluence or that sort of thing are the things that actually uh cause it is there any is there anything in um in society as a whole that makes one more prone to getting acne well, I think there's obviously genetic factors. Um, there's the intelligence of your immune system. You know, so if you were or were not breastfed, if you were or were not born by vaginal birth, whether or not you took a lot of antibiotics or vaccinations as a kid, um, there's, you know, lots of factors that way. In adults, uh, especially after, you know, that, you know, obvious big window, you know, 12 to 24, Again, people with uh, dysbiosis in their microbiome, leaky guts in their gut tube, congested livers, um, excessive toxins and waste in the liver, um, chronic stress, um, you know, even insomnia. Um, I have mentioned alcohol. I think most people with any kind of chronic autoimmune process that's going on, that kind of includes all those things I just said. It's just now more complicated so you could have acne but you might also have psoriasis or eczema or arthritis or something like that um 
there's a thing that I, uh, it's kind of new on the scene. I, I actually have to admit I invented this. Uh, I call it adolescent onset neurological inflammatory disorder because if you're going to make up something, you might as well, you know, run with it. <laughs> Uh, and that has more to do with uh, when I'm speaking about using medical cannabis for neurological inflammation. But one thing that's really, really interesting, if not like terrifying, is most young people and adolescents are getting neurological problems because of the changes in their microbiome. So the acne is kind of like literally big, bright red dashboard lights for inflammation that's systemic. And the probability of uh, enough inflammation in your brain to reduce your neurotransmitter reserve, which basically means you're now prone to anxiety, insomnia, depression, if you're carrying around behavioral triggers for OCD, ADHD, stuff like that. You could be, you know, from 12 to 14 going from some calm, playful, uh, cooperative, passionate kid to a really, really grumpy kid that needs to sleep 12 hours a day and has a profound craving for corn chips and pop. Hmm. Because the, the bugs in your tummy can actually tell your brain to crave stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say that I, I've had my own experience around that with um, my own uh, adventure around digestion that I've had for the course of my life. I don't ever remember having really bad acne, but I do remember, um, I mean, I have a direct correlation right now. You could lift up my pant leg and look at my uh, my shins and you could see the amount of hair that's not there on the one side of my leg from where I used to scratch like crazy. And that was something I would do even in the middle of the night. Um, and that is a direct result of eating bread. Yep. And, um, I mean, not just any bread, plain old, uh, white bread, um, Italian buns or paninis or anything like the good stuff, you know? <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Cause I've had to divorce that in my life a long, well, long time. As, as have I, but I mean, I've, I've since been able to eat certain types of bread and not have the same sort of itchy, itchy scratchy reaction. Um, but, uh, yeah, I could, uh, I could totally see how, um, I mean, I think I've said this on the podcast before, you know, whenever I see uh, people reacting in a certain way, or if I see kids acting up in a certain way, the first thing I say to myself is like, geez, I wonder what the heck they ate. Yeah, right. You know, it's like um, uh, the, the dashboard light, as, as you describe it, um, is, is going off like crazy. So if, 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 if gut things are the kind of things that, um, gut issues, if you will, if I can generalize around that, are the things that actually cause acne, um, is there any sort of, uh, modern approach to actually uh, look at it from that perspective? Like is Western medicine actually finally caught on and go, oh, it's really your gut? Well, uh, I think we'd be good to get into that. So obviously, you know, your uh, overall hygiene is going to have an impact on this. Although the underlying formation of uh, part of the cause may come from your gut or your liver or from stress, obviously you do actually have to have some dirty pores for that um imbalanced metabolic state to produce acne otherwise way way more people would have acne right and even if you're not using antibiotics and hormones and other things if you are pretty religious about using really simple simple fat-based lye-based soaps uh and both fat and lye are very antibacterial in ways mm -hmm. um and you're washing two or three times a day you are going to see a proportional relief of the formation and spreading and and um advancement of the, the acne that you have so hygiene is obviously a big deal so before i get into like i don't know the way acne can look i just want to bring people into the anatomy of your pores sure 
So here's your pore. It's like a little hole in the ground and there's things that come out of that hole and there's things that go into that hole that make the reason that why that hole or that pore is there. So obviously sweating out of our pores is one of the main reasons we have pores. Right. And uh, there's a little sweat gland that's, um, you know, it just builds up enough of the precursor material for that to just eject it through the pore, especially when it's being told to. But right next to that sweat gland in, I don't know what exact uh, proportion, but in, say, most of those uh, sweat glands right next to them, and these are pretty microscopic thing, is what's called a sebaceous gland. And it produces something called sebum, which is basically kind of like a slightly protective oil. So it is, in a way, um, in, I don't know, when you get into the chemistry, it's a bit more complicated. But when you look at the microbiome on the inside of the body, which is coming from the gut through the lymphatic channels all the way up into every individual cell, that's carrying kind of the overall... I don't know if there was like a little, little list of names, you know, okay, we've got all these guys on the inside. And then as the sebum uh, expresses itself into the surface of the skin, that gives the microbiome on the skin a really clear sense of, you know, who's on the team on the inside and maybe how that affects the team on the outside. And obviously that goes back and forth. So the more, uh, again, the least uh, balanced your skin microbiome is in the sense of health and hygiene and stuff like that, the more it's going to inform the inner microbiome or your gastrointestinal microbiome uh, bacterial. So basically, I mean, honestly, easiest way is your intestines are trying to create a, an infection that's similar on your skin to your gut, and your skin is trying to create a similar infection on the inside as to what's on your skin. And I mean, that sounds dire and action movie and intense, but it's just to frame a context, which is there's this um, pretty much untestable, unclarifiable mixture of interactions that there's no way we can just nail it with one thing there's mm -hmm. no magic bullet because it's way way too many thousands of things uh, interacting in ways that we just don't know how to predict or understand exactly yet so anyway there's that thing there's this little hole and between the outside and the inside this is going on if your pores get dirty enough and or congested enough which could be um because you like to do tough mutters and land face first in piles of mud that may be full of other people's pee because they're so excited to be in a tough mutter contest or something. <laughs> Just for... <laughs> Actually, that would probably be better for your face than bad. But anyway. <laughs> so, dirty face, blah. But there's also the uh, a much more intrinsic part of acne, which is our, our skin is always dying on the surface. Our skin grows from the subcutaneous bed, kind of like the way trees grow, gradually through the outer surface, which would be kind of like the bark. If you're getting a lot of dead cellular protein tissue and it's not being washed away, you know, by normal activity and hygiene, it's the dead cellular tissue that's being eaten up by a protective part of your lymphatic system that actually produces a kind of bacterial overgrowth that actually produces enough inflammation that actually causes enough swelling and thickening that the pore changes its anatomy and fills up like a little, you know, pustule. And then it's going to turn into any number of different specific forms of acne. But you have to have um, an imbalance in the microbiome. You have to have uh, uh, enough dead skin tissue inside the pore and enough congested sebum inside the pore for an overactivity of the immune system uh, at digesting these proteins. That process actually secretes hormones that interfere with uh, the rest of your hormones. If you have a thousand big cysts of acne on your back, that effectively is kind of like having 
an extra factory for certain estrogens and progesterones and other hormones that can cause inner dysregulation. So again, acne is literally the ultimate dashboard light. And the kind of acne tells you how far along you are in that process. And potentially, as we learn more about it, exactly what imbalance um, uh, is going to produce that specific form of acne. So I'm just going to wander through the forms of acne. Before you do that, let me just get clear on the uh, an idea that just a uh, question just came to mind. So uh, tell me if I heard you right. If there's something presenting on the outside in terms of acne, that's a direct reflection of something being um, out of whack and out of balance on the inside. It's, it's, it's not necessarily just a piece of dirt in the, in the pore that's causing um, um, things to get pussy and turn into a zit. It's actually a um, two-way street. It, it's a two-way street. It's multifactorial. And the rate of reaction of your immune system, the amount of swelling, the amount of toxicity that's involved in the process or produced by the process uh, determines the actual presentation of the acne. Hmm. So your usual initial first stage of acne are called whiteheads, right? And no, whiteheads are not the ones you pop in the mirror, you know, when you're having an OCD moment and you just want to do some grooming for yourself. <laughs> uh, we'll come to those in a minute. Uh, whiteheads are actually what happens when the pore fills up with sebum and, and, and in the skin and stuff like that. And for whatever reason, the immune system isn't that focused on inflammation or swelling or... Um, all of that, it does, the pore basically just fills up gradually over time with uh, a, a waxy, thick, white-like substance um, that um, becomes almost like a little hard, white, you know, lump. But it's not big. It's not like something that's going to protrude. It's not going to, again, it's not going to be red. It's just going to be a little tiny, you know, group of whitish, th thickened, tiny, like pen marks a spot yeah, tiny little spots uh, some people get lots some people get a few you know the in chinese medicine where they happen on your face is relevant to organ involvement but there's no scientific cause for that but the correlation is pretty accurate i think and so again yeah the whiteheads are just these little tiny you know congested thickened uh hardened things uh but they're not usually itchy or painful or whatever they're just not how your face looked two months ago Mm. Then there's what we call blackheads, um, everyone's favorite kind of acne. And it's like basically the whitehead process, but um, the rate at which the sebum and other material are coming out of the pore uh, are fast enough that it doesn't make that little hardened white cap. So now the sebum and uh, some other stuff we'll probably get into in a bit uh, start to oxidize. And the oxidized sort of low-grade infection turns into this little black dot. And if you squeeze it and stuff like that, the hardened black oxidized part pops out. Right. And again, if you're having one of those OCD self-care moments that you just feel like picking away at your skin, have fun or get a friend to do it. Grooming is more fun when your friends do it and get rid of that stuff. But that's not going to do anything clinically for why it's happening. Right. Right. That's yeah. just going to be uh, you're, window you're, dressing or something. Well, and, and in fact, you're actually just having a, a mild form of anxiety if you're, if you're obsessively, you know, popping you know, zits or pustules or blackheads, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, clearly there's something going on that's winding up a whole bunch of things in your immune system and your nervous system. So I'm not picking on people who are, you know, because I've had that experience many times in my life where it's kind of like, I don't know, 
a very, very mild form of masturbation or something where you're just going, oh yeah, well, I'm just going to sit here in the mirror and just, you know, go after all these little spots. And then you clean up your mirror and, you know, you look at yourself and you look even worse because you just beat up <laughs> most of your skin. Yeah, but there's an instinctual drive to just get that stuff out of your skin. It's just, you know, I guess I'm just bringing it up to realize, you know, if you're, if you're having that experience, pat yourself on the back for being... Uh, at least proactive in some way, but, you know, try and shrug your shoulders and have a little laugh at the fact that that in no way is anything else than, than kind of like chewing your nails because it's not going to help you fix the problem. But enjoy the process unless you're scarring yourself. Well, I'm going I'm to stop you there for a second. There's um, just on the word that you said about um, uh, anxiety, having a little small uh, zit fit, if you will. Ooh, good name. <laughs> we should brand that. <laughs> <laughs> Zitfit.com featuring Dr. Michael Smith. Um, so there's a series, um, you just uh, search on YouTube the term uh, pimple. Mm -hmm. And there's bazillions of videos about people popping pimples. Dr. Pimple Popper is, uh, is one of the, the channels that I've seen. Um, and uh, I've seen a lot of these videos uh, labeled as... Um, the most satisfying video ever. <laughs> it's like watching somebody else attack a zit is in some way calming for some people. So that, that just came to mind based on the fact that you were talking about um, uh, clearing out blackheads being something sort of anxiety uh, inducing. Um, anyways, I digress. Go on. <laughs> yeah. So zit fits are a thing. And uh, if you're having them, just, you know, try and comfort yourself in, in other ways if you're taking it so far that you're actually causing scarring. Because I have met many people who, I mean, that, that's their, that's their life is every, you know, especially women with, uh, acne that comes up around their period, which can be a, a much more emotional time, which we've talked to, you know, on the podcast about the physiology of PMS and why it's for reals that, you know, a lot of people are having a much more crowded emotional experience. Mm -hmm. At the same time, because of hormonal involvement in acne, you're going to maybe have a lot more acne around the time you're having PMS. So... If you're feeling wound up about it and, you know, a zit fit seems to be the way to go, you know, that's what you're going to do. But also recognize that at a certain point, if you keep doing that, you're going to have more cystic acne if you don't treat the root of it. And then you're going to start scarring your face. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Well, I, I've known people in my life who, um, for lack of a better word, have that sort of uh, crater face. Um, who's the one guy that I think of? Uh, Brian Adams, mm -hmm. a musician, is bad for that. Yeah. And, you know. I don't know if it's uh, if the word cystic acne is the right way to describe yep, it or not. That's that's what cystic acne will do. Yeah, well. and cystic acne is kind of like the the really badass kind of acne. Mm -hmm. So we have the whiteheads, which aren't you know the poppy ones, and you have the blackheads, which are poppable, but it's really a waste of time. Then they develop in some people to what are called uh, sebaceous filaments, or like but are blackheads, especially on the nose. Um, because the nose on your pores can naturally be a lot more expansive, uh, in the sense of volume and depth. So if you're having that process of blackheads, uh, these things just become longer, thinner filaments, little blackhead on top, and then they sort of squeeze out in a long, you know, little wormy like shape, probably like on a half a centimeter or something. Right. But just recognizing that the leftover waste tissue, um, which is kind of the symptom of acne, has this other form in, in deeper pores where when you are trying to pop it or push it out, it's going to come out like a little blackhead with a tail. And that's still that long filament just because of the structure of the pore. But the only reason to be going that deep and, and having that kind of mechanical integrity is because the process has now accelerated to 
be able to um, occupy and in, in a way and infect and crowd out that much of a volume in, in your skin, which is, you know, just sort of like the next stage of, uh-oh, this is starting to get, you know, uh, deeper, literally. And uh, with uh, cystic acne, if it's if it's that much more severe, um, is that just representational of um, a deeper issue in terms of uh, gut health? Uh, usually cystic acne is going to be the precipice of going from just, you know, dysbiosis in the microbiome or your gut bugs aren't making sense. Um, you know, hygiene issues, hormonal issues, stress. Uh, but when it starts to get into cystic acne, now you're looking at actual autoimmune behavior, right? So that's going to mean probably more likelihood of some aspect of leaky gut and more importantly, a congested enough liver that um, any low-grade infection turns into a pretty huge, red, inflamed, and painful thing. Mm. In Chinese medicine, we would call that rudu, which is toxic heat. Right. You know, so it's just at a point now, okay, now it's your things are getting, you know, not not only unsightly a little bit, but physically destructive, physically painful. And um, anyone who's ever had cystic acne on their face or their chin or their back, I mean, you're, it's, it's, you know, you're compelled to dig away at those things because they, they physically hurt you. And, you know, all primates are physically compelled to go through faster amounts of greater pain to get rid of longer terms of smaller amounts of pain. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of the scarring comes up. Right. Interesting. So then we have what are called papules, which are the actual things people call whiteheads, which are the little bubbles that fill up with the sebum and some, you know, lymph and, um, uh, some fatty tissue, and if you pop it, it's going to squirt. So, okay. Um, and um, it gets worse with what are called pustules, because now it's not just the, the raised red thing that has the serum underneath of it. Now it actually has a raised, you know, kind of yellowish-white uh, extended bubble around the actual papule. So it's got a pustule because it's full of pus. Right. So I mean, can, I guess obviously I'm walking through this in the sense of progression of morphology or the actual presentation of sure. acne. Sure. And what's uh, what's next on the list after that? Uh, this is when we get into the cystic acne and or things that turn into nodules. So if the cyst can't um, clear itself, you know, mostly being reabsorbed into the body internally, or you haven't found a way to stab it appropriately with, you know, what have I used? Uh, acupuncture needles. Uh, carving like fine stone carving <laughs> blades scalpels for my first aid kit <laughs> you know where you're just like you have this thing and it hurts and you just want to it's an instinct to just get something in the middle of it to get that stuff out it's like a snake bite you know right. slice and get it out of there mm. yeah i'm not sorry but that, that that went in the direction <laughs> i didn't expect it to but anyway there's a new career <laughs> So there are some other uh, types of acne. Uh, again, though, just before I move on, the cystic acne is the the kind that is actually now a kind of co-infection. Like your immune system is now going, oh my God, there's spots that are on fire. Mm. And again, from a clinical point of view, that's when we start looking at a more severe pathomechanism and a much longer time to recover because now everything's involved. So... Um if I understand that right, does the body actually look at something that's so uh, advanced on the face or on the back or whatever it is and sort of say, hey, um, we need to clean that up, even though it started on the inside? Well, I mean, now your dashboard lights are actually dashboard lights that have 
pain. And they have a feedback loop that's informing you that, you know, you're under, you're infected. You're, 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 now you have a second, third or fourth internal hidden stressor that's actually stressing every system in your body because it's an infection. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at a certain level of severe cystic acne, I mean, antibiotics and hormones, pfft, never mind that. We're going to go with prednisone and other immune, um, um, down-regulating thing is just because your immune system is now so crowded around the infection thing that it would actually potentially make you very, very sick. Wow. Wow. Because your immune system eventually can't handle that load. And, I mean, the most common thing that goes with uh, cystic acne statistically is called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease, obviously, mostly women or nearly women for that, that part of it. But men can get a similar kind of uh, endocrine disruptive cystic acne. Uh, but it's also an autoimmune process. But, you know, you talk to your standard, you know, frontline clinician and they go, oh, you got pimples. Instead of, oh, you, you're, you're having some dashboard lights that are actually zinging you and everybody else around you to remind you you have an autoimmune disease that's looking for another place to like dig in its claws and, you know, change the entire course of your life. Wow. So having said that, so we have the cystic acne, which tells us, oh my God, that's, that's a pretty serious, you know, internal environment. And then you look at the, the next thing we see, which is called acne rosacea, which is this butterfly shaped rash or redness. And, you know, sometimes mild thickening, sometimes in, you know, pretty overt acne uh, in that area of the face. That's considered to be the number one most consistent dashboard light for autoimmune uh, process at a, in a, at a state of acceleration. You know, so now it's saying, okay, well, if I'm going to run with this, I'm going to grab onto some stuff and run with it. So a lot of people present with this rosacea and some people have, have the rosacea butterfly with acne coming out of it. And it could be any different number of different kinds of acne from the blackheads to the pustules to even cystic acne. Wow. That sounds really severe. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and so, uh, with that, uh, that progression and that, um, instrument panel lit up like crazy all the dashboard lights going off there's a few more um i don't this is a silly question does western medicine actually recognize that as being um something to pay attention to does western medicine actually look at that and say hey those are dashboard lights or are they still concerned with the cosmetic appearance on the outside of the skin i think it depends on the doctor I mean, some people are very, very much sort of playing by the playbook of evidence-based medicine and, you know, diet, treat the diagnosis, treat the symptoms. But luckily, there's a lot of other people in the last few years in standard medicine, Western medicine, who are saying, okay, we really have to start paying attention to things like SIBO and the gut-brain axis and the gut-skin axis and that your liver actually really matters. So putting more pharmaceuticals into it may or may not be the best idea. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... The old saying is, you know, if you talk to a hammer, everything's a nail. You talk to a pharmaceutical person and it's going to be drugs and, you know, maybe some kind of cosmetic surgery or, or you know, skin debriding process or something. Because, you know, it again depends on the person. And I'm not putting down the mechanical stuff. I mean, anything that helps, helps. But uh, as the theme of the show is, I don't think hormones and antibiotics in the long term are going to do much good. Right. So a few more quick kinds of acne. Sure. Uh, one's called acne conglata or conglobata. It's not something you have to say very often. <laughs> it's actually one of the more severe kinds of acne, and it can really be quite destructive to 
uh, a person's sense of self because it's really a quite intense combination of the cystic acne and the pustules and the blackheads and it typically leaves you know quite a lot of scarring and most people don't like that uh, uh, there's another kind of rapid onset acne called uh, acne fulmians um, and it actually comes on kind of like a flu a flu. So you get this weird kind of rashy acne that's got you know a lot of heat, a lot of redness, a lot of bubbles, and then you start getting a fever, and then you start getting joint pain, mm. right? So whether or not that's going to come through you like a weird flu, or whether or not that's another uh, stagger step of your immune system in the direction of autoimmunity, I, I can't really say one way or the other. But I would say it's fifty-fifty, and I wouldn't recommend picking one side i would suggest for anyone trying to figure this out or any clinician trying to work with this if you're seeing that kind of acne where it comes on like a flu with fever and with joint pain um it's it's both an external problem that set it off and an internal problem that you know maybe the body has chosen to use that external thing to remind you that something's really kind of messed up or out of whack on, on the inside I've never actually seen that in my clinic. Um, it's pretty rare, but I just think it's reasonable if we're going to do a typical fusion health radio geek deep dive geek, geek out into the realms of acne, then that's what we're going to do. Is there anything beyond that? Uh, just a couple. We have the, uh, like again, the acne fulminians. Um, then we have pyoderma facial. And uh, this is just usually the larger nodules, lots of pustules. Uh, it's also pretty destructive. Uh, some people in my side of the medical field, you know, would say that this one is a presentation that happens when your immune system is actually kind of like diminishing capacity. So instead of more redness, more swelling, more overt aggression of the immune system, it kind of takes a step back um, and allows uh, the acne to kind of just sit on, in the skin and go a little bit deeper. Um, it's not that common and usually only is going to come after women between 20 and 40. It usually comes on kind of quickly, you know, in the sense that it's not like one little spot, another spot. It just sort of shows up as a, as a pretty thorough a kind of acne, almost always just on the face. Um, and then it just seems to resolve itself usually within about a year, which mm -hmm. is, again, not something you see a lot of, but I think it's a really important dashboard light. And I've said this before, my practice is 80% women, so... You know, that's something I like to try and be aware of is that if you're seeing, you know, someone come in and they're 32 years old and they've never had acne and then all of a sudden it's kind of all over the place and, you know, their health is wobbling in other ways. Um, again, that's usually because of a sudden shift of deficit of immune function and then the immune system starts to come back into play, you know, like it I don't know, got knocked out and it's waking up and it's trying to swing in the dark a bit. So the organized immune system against the, the pustules and the... A uh, little mess that's going on, on the inside is going to be slower, so the symptoms are going to be less intense. And as the immune system gradually comes back to full function, uh, it can resolve that kind of acne again, usually within about a year. And the last one is called uh, gram-negative folliculitis. If I get that right, um, really rare kind. Um, again, involving lots of pustules and cysts, um, and it's almost always due to long-term antibiotic use. Antibiotics being the kind of things that ruin your gut flora, I would think that would be 
yeah. one of the reasons. So this this kind of uh, specific one happens usually after people have used tetracycline for a long time. So you've wiped out a certain kind of bacteria with that antibiotic, and then another kind of bacteria comes in, which is not necessarily pathological, but um, um, it's now basically the bacteria that's driving what is a new kind of acne. Hmm. Right, but you know, I mean, that's it's it's, just, it's acne as as you would uh, usually see, um, but when you actually would biopsy the actual pus in the pustule itself, okay, uh, you're going to see a very different profile of bacteria. Hmm. So, boom, there you go, real. That's a lot. Uh, of, that's a lot. That's, of zits. that's a lot of kind of zits. <laughs> so you can see why we have the zit fits because it's eek. Yeah. Wow. And and again, this uh, this. Uh, this list of, of acne that you're describing here is something that's known to um, uh, Western medicine, and they're, they have their own sort of approaches to it. Well, I mean, this is the thing is, in both Western medicine and Chinese medicine, and I'm sure every other kind of medicine, dermatology is the one of the last things that's taught. So you're already pretty sure of yourself and or your brain is really full and or a lot of doctors don't take dermatology that seriously unless you're a dermatologist because it's kind of like, come on, man, it's a boo-boo. Right. It's just something to put a Band-Aid on and away you go. Yeah. And I mean, I've been, I was in the hospital once with my son. He hurt himself in some way and I was sitting in Emerge and the doctor was there and I said, hey man, you ever seen this? And I had this really weird colored shape on my thumb and I'd never seen it before and it was raised and brownish and crusty and stuff, which could be bad and i was watching it going i'm wondering what this is and i had my own theory but i'm in emergency with the real doctor so he looked at it and was like ah, i have no, no idea and i was there for three hours he was on google most of the time they shipped me off for an x-ray for my lungs for some reason because i guess he found something on wikipedia that said maybe there was something wrong with me my kid's still sitting on the table in the hospital getting his thing taken care of i'm this lab rat for this guy who's trying to figure out my skin because Nobody can remember everything that can go wrong with your skin and practice regular medicine because cool. it, it's a specialty. I mean, there's a lot to it. I don't know. I mean, maybe, I mean, when I researched this for this podcast, I was like, man, half of these I don't think I've even ever heard of before because hmm. in Chinese medicine, anyway, acne is like you know, three or four things. Well, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, there's been a big part of my life where I actually thought of my skin as just being this sort of, you know, saran wrap for everything on the inside. Uh, but you know, since, uh, talking to you for a couple of years, you know, realizing that it's more of an organ than it is anything else, uh, and that it's actually connected to everything else. And, you know, your, um, choice of words about it being a dashboard light, as it being a dashboard light, you know, that, that, that's a different perspective that I don't think most, uh, people, even if they did pay attention in doctor school, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a new way of looking at it, I think. Maybe. I mean, maybe, yeah, I guess I've, that's going to sound weird. I've kind of just decided I'm going to be a pioneer and a good detective. So I'm not saying I've left everybody else behind, but I think I'm just going to have to run with the fact that I really like as a researcher to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a lot of other people in medicine, once they have a pretty good toolbox and some years under their belt, you know, they may or may not be staying up with the research as it comes down the pipe, but um, they're kind of in like self-defense mode. Self-defense. And you know, when we talk about this in the podcast about the martial arts, you know, the, in, in a real fight, if you know what you're doing, you never block. Right. Right. So if you're not being uh, actively 
proactive as a researcher and, you know, experimenting on yourself and your patients. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, did I? Um, <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to get the leading edge of what you do. If you sit back and go with 19 or 2009 peer-reviewed articles and cross your arms and, you know, puff out your chest and say, at least we're sure. Hmm. And obviously, if we were sure, it would always work. So we're not sure. Hmm. Um, so where are we going with this um, in terms of uh, identifying all the different uh, things that show up on your face? Um, well, I think it'd be cool to talk about what people do about it, but yeah. technically. Because <laughs> okay. we're going to get into what people can do. Right now, in the standard of care, you're usually going to be given... Um, by most clinicians, some kind of topical thing that's going to help your body clear up the infection that's inside the pores, that's going to change maybe the surface tension of the sebum and other things, that's going to maybe change the pH, uh, that may or may not have some kind of microbiome influence, like probiotic kind of things. Uh, again, certain kind of fats uh, are good for your skin, certain kind of fats aren't. But right now, the most common things that you're going to see are, are basically what are called retinoids or um, rearranged versions of uh, the whole complex we call vitamin A um, and other specific drugs that are, um, I don't know, mirrors of that particular thing. And again, usually that's just done to unblock your, your pores and obviously change the biochemistry of what's going on in your pores. But again, the, the problem with that part of the treatment in standard care is it just keeps giving people that blocking mindset. Oh yeah, I got dirty pores. I'll take this stuff that's going to go in there and, you know, root out the bad dirt. Um, well, we're not talking about the fact that, oh yeah, these compounds are to go in there and change the metabolic pH, the overall you know, microbiome, as well as clean out the, the, the gooey stuff. But because, you know, English is kind of noun-based mechanical language, we just go, oh yeah, I need this to clean my pores instead of looking at all the regulatory benefits uh, that you could also be putting on your face. It sounds like, um, I'm looking for the analogy here. The thing that comes to mind is, um, uh, if there's rust presenting on the car, you just sort of pick off the flaky bits of paint and then just paint right over it. Yeah. A little Bondo is nice. You know? <laughs> and there's still rust underneath it, yeah, but, of course. but at least it looks good on the outside, right? Yeah. It's your spring cleaning. Oh yeah. I got out the grinder and take off even more of the body of your car. <laughs> So that's the topical stuff. In standard care, most dermatologists are going to be giving you uh, either, again, a combination of the skin stuff and some kind of oral antibiotic. There's doxycycline, tetracycline, monocycline, uh, erythromycin. They're the you know, overall you know, broad-spectrum antibiotics. Um, that I don't think they've really been researched well enough, but it's just one of those uh, empirical things. You give somebody antibiotics for strep throat and their acne goes away, and you're like, hmm, well, maybe I'm a dermatologist too. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw up a new shingle. <laughs> acne specialist. No idea why, but choke on this. <laughs> and another thing, again, that we're seeing now is uh, use of birth control pills, uh, obviously in women. Uh, and the reason this is actually done is because when you're taking uh, birth control pills, it's going to mess with your underlying steroid hormones and their pathways, but it decreases specifically what are called circulatory androgens. And androgens are basically things that make you grow. You, know, you look at like, uh, anabolic steroids, testosterone, stuff like that. And I mean, those, those hormones make things grow. And if your body's thickening membranes and swelling up pores and, you know, accelerating this tissue growth process that's a wound site, 
reducing the and uh, androgens actually physically reduces the ability to grow more pustules and thicken more scar tissue. So it gives the microbiome and the surface mechanical situation a lot more time to sort itself out. And obviously if your acne is bad enough that you're taking birth control to handle it, you're probably doing as a young woman a lot of other stuff to take care of your face from the outside in as well. Mm-hmm. So the the rate at which hormones are going to make a difference is huge because you're clinically doing the opposite of what a weightlifter would get from taking steroids. So instead of big, huge muscular pustules and cysts, you're getting these little tiny frail guys that for some reason cartoons of people kicking them sand in their face comes to mind. I don't know. You get these <laughs> these little little wimpy loser kind of Take that. <laughs> you stupid set. <laughs> anyway. Um so um for these pills to work, they have to have a, a, a balancing ratio of estrogens and progestin to actually be able to affect that. So when you look at this from a functional medicine point of view and using external uh, hormones and stuff, the only thing that makes any real sense is to be testing the person and balancing their hormones as fast as you can normally hmm. uh, in the sense of what we do. And then if that doesn't work completely after a few months, then I think taking the pill would be safer because at least you'd know what that ratio of hormones is sort of stirring into based on measuring that person's hormones and trying to balance them out. Right. So that's standard of care when um, you're looking at what a person like I would be doing. Um, you basically just have to assess all of the players. So if you have acne, I think you have two choices. And I'm saying this out loud to clinicians. I'm saying this to anyone who's hearing this who has acne, knows anyone who has acne. You've got two choices. Door number one, you have to fix everything that might be broken. Okay. So you're going to do stuff for your gut microbiome, for the, your stomach acid, you know, rule out, you know, all that stuff. Uh, you're going to take care of your leaky gut. You're going to take care of your liver function. You're going to take care of your stress hormones and reproductive hormones. You're obviously going to be doing a lot of stuff for your skin because... Um, <clears throat> you've decided to take what I would consider the most common sense approach, which is why not just get really healthy all over the place. Now, the benefit of this is it's inexpensive because you're not paying for a lot of lab tests. You've just decided that, I mean, and this is my thing, I always tell my patients, let's just put you on the protocol for that because it's almost entirely absolutely that. If you get better, that was the lab test. Hmm. You know, I took protocol for A, A went away, it must have been A. Right. So that's door number one. Just focus on your whole health. I mean, learn to meditate, take up, you know, go into a sensory deprivation tank or something because anything that's going to help you get well across all of your systems is obviously a good idea. Subscribe to this podcast. Yeah, oh, please subscribe, rate and review, all this stuff. Um, uh, so anyway, so that's door number one. Door number two is test everything that's going to be involved. You know, liver, gut, bugs, all that stuff I'll get into. And then focus on a protocol for whoever's actually the grumpiest or the most reeling in in your system. So either of these two choices makes sense. It's just one is going to be about 1,000, 1,500 bucks of lab tests before you begin going after fixing whatever that problem is. And honestly, it's almost always going to show some part of everything. It's going to be something to do with gut, something to do with bugs, something to do with leaky gut, something to do with liver, stress, lymphatic stuff, you know, all kinds of things, not to mention the deeper psycho emotional and personal aspects of having suddenly a not perfect appearance in a culture that that's obsessed with appearance. Mm-hmm. So doorway number, doorway number one, fix everything. Doorway number two, 
test for everything and then fix what's broken. It's just number two is just really expensive. <clears throat> and honestly, the most most people who actually find um, every system involved in some way, you can just sort of see them hang their head at that fifteen hundred dollar check that they just signed off to some lab in California. <laughs> And going, darn it, now I have to go and redo my whole kitchen, buy all these supplements, and, you know, buy an SD tank or something. <laughs> so, um, if we go back into doorway, doorway number one, uh, where you're going to try, try and fix everything, you're basically looking at at least four or five months, maybe up to two years, but at least you're putting your cash towards your protocol, right? You know, if you're going to get better, you're going to get better because that was the test. Um, so that would look like an autoimmune paleo diet. Mm -hmm. I think we've kicked that can around enough that I think it's pretty clear for people on the show. If you're not looking up online, autoimmune paleo diet, you know, risk the risk of putting your email in someone's little box and get some free cookbooks and meal plans and tutorials. And if you don't like what they send you, unsubscribe. But it's a great way to get a bunch of really great free access while you're actively researching, you know, how you're going to have to change your entire lifestyle for months, if not years. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug your book. <laughs> all right. Um, returning to an ancestral diet. <laughs> Right? Michael's shaking his head here. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sorry. right. I wrote a book. It's for sale. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a merchant. I'm a researcher. You're a dum-dum. Oh, yo. <laughs> who, wrote so? a, who wrote a really big book that talks all about... Uh, uh, you call me a dum-dum. I want to go pop my, my zits now. Go <laughs> <laughs> <Of> a zit fit. <laughs> Sorry, Michael can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> ow. Ow. Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, the book, if you wanted to buy it, uh, where could they pick this thing up? Um, well, as soon as I finish my tussle with the IRS uh, so I can get it on Amazon, it'll be everywhere, but I'm not quite finished that process yet. Uh, so it's on my website. It's, uh, which is integrative uh, oh health <laughs> solutions.ca, yeah. integrative health solutions with an S.ca. And you yeah. can go online there and you can, uh, subscribe to Michael's uh, email and right. uh, get his pearls of wisdom uh, now and again, or you can just buy the book and have this very thick three inch book with 500 plus recipes and uh, a really good introduction into um, why you would want to eat a more uh, cleaner and greener kind of paleo like diet. Yeah. So the book's called returning to an ancestral diet and um, I like it. It was fun. <laughs> Hmm. I, I just forget that I did it. <laughs> anyway, so you're going to... And now back to the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess we should get a sponsor. <laughs> uh, so you're on the paleo autoimmune diet. You're going to be doing everything to fix up your liver. So you're going to be drinking lots of water, maybe doing cleansing, just, uh, checking out how castor oil may help your gut or your liver. You're going to be exercising appropriately, sleeping like a Jedi. You're probably going to want to learn to meditate in some way. Uh, working on effective communication and bonding, I think is a really important and potent opportunity when we naturally feel that there's going to be a barrier to intimacy and bonding when our face is covered in dashboard lights. Mm -hmm. So especially with acne, making sure you have really good connections with people with respect to the, the appearance factor, because a lot of people just kind of turn into ostriches, you know, they're, I'm just gonna put my head in the sand, pretend I don't have a face and just sort of grumpily stoically move my way through my world and that's not good for our species at all no no 
So, uh, obviously gut support, probiotic foods, uh, if it's truly SIBO, you're going to be into the resistant starch and baby food diet for about a year, you know, some antimicrobials, uh, for the cannabis crowd, uh, cannabidiol or CBD and something called CBG, uh, both are immune regulating, uh, CBG specifically as an antiviral antifungal. So if you have access to non-psychoactive cannabis, um, that's a really, really potent way to go. In fact, you're going to notice that effect faster than anything else you could do. Um, potentially, uh, the next thing that's going to produce the most results with the least amount of confusing effort is to fast for four days. Really? Yep. Don't eat. Give your stomach a chance to figure things out all on its own. Yeah, your, your, your leaky gut and microbiome can do a huge shift. It doesn't mean they can repair completely, but they can do a huge shift towards the positive if you don't eat anything besides maybe bone broth and, I don't know, like, you know, your bulletproof golden milk things. So you're not actually eating a lot of food. You're just changing the ecology and environment and signaling in your gut. Mm -hmm. So fasting, free medicine, don't even have to buy food. <laughs> uh, what I call parasite hunting, which is picking, you know, certain compounds and protocols that are for the, the most uh, active and scary looking parasites. But you'd only want to do that after you've already spent enough time healing up your gut that exploding things in your gut isn't going to take out your gut and your liver. Right. Stress is obviously a huge thing. So uh, anything you can do to balance the long-term uh, complications of chronic stress, chronic inflammation, chronic immune system dysfunction, and dysbiosis. That is a stressor for your nervous system. Your nervous system gets more nervous. Your immune system gets more nervous, blah, 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 feedback loop. And now it's probably going to go from pustules to cystic acne. So FYI, again, if you're going to do doorway number one, which is my recommendation for all things, just gradually, patiently, curiously fix everything and, you know, learn as you go. Because for the rest of your life, that experience is going to inform you as to what's going to work for anything else that happens to you. Mm -hmm. If you're going to dive through doorway number two, you're going to go to lab testing. So for your gut, we're going to test for H. pylori. We're going to test for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, we're going to test for a leaky gut. We're going to test for food sensitivities, uh, any significant gut bugs. If you don't test all that stuff, you're sort of swinging in the dark a little bit. Uh, to test your liver, we'd be using a urine test initially. Uh, one's called a UBA test, um, urinary, urinary bile acid test, which just basically means if your liver's congested, your bile's caustic and everything else, you're going to start to see metabolites in your urine that just say your liver's jammed up. And some of those metabolites are very specific as to why. Uh, there's called an oat test or organic acid test, which can tell you about neurological change in neurotransmitter function, inflammation, and stuff like that, all from your pee. Uh, there are blood tests you can take for liver function, but obviously now you're getting into pretty specific diagnostic care uh, and or treatments. So for some people, you really have to have the right kind of license to do that kind of medicine, um, or at least have one of those people on your team. Uh, when it comes to hormones, we have my favorite test, which is called uh, BH401ES, um, or the test that tests all your hormones, including estradiol, uh, estrion, uh, estriol, and uh, what's called SIGA. So it's a pretty standard panel, but if you add a couple of other little bells and whistles, you just get a much better picture. Uh, there's a new one coming out uh, for hormones called a Dutch test. It's been around for a while, but it's becoming more and more available. I blanking, blankety blank, love that test. It is absolutely the most uh, affordable correlative test for everything that's going on. Hmm. So, I'm sorry, um, the name of it again? Uh, that's just called the Dutch test. The Dutch test. Um, but if you're looking for comprehensive 
uh, endocrine panel, that's the way to go. Um, and obviously, depending on the results of any of those tests, sorry if your eyes are rolling and you just bonked your head because that was not tangibly personally relevant. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so if you have uh, any tests from any of those results, you're back to doorway number one to do something about it and get onto that protocol anyway. So I love testing. I'm not putting it down. It's a blessing. It helps me save so many people so much time and lots of lives too. Uh, but if you're sure you're motivated, get motivated one way or the other and, uh, you know, really invest a lot of effort and time, uh, into those protocols because that's inevitably what's going to effectively help you. Mm, wow. Well, it, it always just comes back to, um, is it the right way to say it? It comes back to diet. It comes back to how we treat, uh, whatever it is we have going on on the inside and how we actually feed it. Right. I mean, that seems to be a pretty simple thing to say, and it's almost like people don't believe it <laughs> in, in some ways because it's too simple, right? Um, going through door number one, as you described it there, is something that um, uh, maybe simple is not the right word, would be less painful, uh, less expensive, um, but just as effective. And it ultimately, I suppose, um, result in healing so many other things. I can imagine doing a fast, as you just suggested. Yes, that may clear up my skin, but what else would it do? you know, uh, probably another podcast worth of information <laughs> probably, <laughs> or maybe two or three. Right. Yeah. So I think, you no, know, we have a choice as clinicians and as individuals, as patients, uh, obviously that, you know, we're either going to be, um, super proactive and curious and really want to know what's going on, mm -hmm. or we're going to be a person who's looking for kind of minimal investment, minimal involvement. And, uh, so I do this course once or twice a year. Now it's called 10 weeks to abundant health. It's like an online cleansy thing, which is now available forever. So if people want to try to get a hold of me, we'll set that up. But the reason why I developed that is that, um, and I've said this, I don't know, probably in the podcast already, courses like that should be taught in probably grade 10. You know, so instead of just talking about biology and sex ed and, you know, physics and chemistry and kind of this, you know, myopic, you know, we just need you to know this thing so that the government says, you know, enough to go into the world and, I don't know, hopefully do good things instead of challenging things. But um, until you've actually gone through a process that gives you an intimate functioning knowledge of what your organs do, what can go wrong and what to do about them in the folk medicine side of what medicine could be in the sense of what, you know, I think anyone would have learned from their grandma about mm -hmm. this is just why we have bitters. This is just why we do this. Uh, this is why we soak our nuts and boil up bones and stuff. We're all basically kind of adrift at, at, at a certain distance or tether from a real grounded self-awareness and a sense of what to do about it. So, you know, in a way, most people are swinging in the dark a bit, you know, and that's just the way our culture works. And again, acne is honestly um, probably the least dangerous thing you could get. And uh, such as, again, from whiteheads to blackheads to... Uh, the, the pustules to all the other stuff to cysts and, and different kinds of stuff. It's like the sequential, you know, gift of dashboard lights that are saying, are you ready to kind of take care of this completely? Have you done any research to take care of this? Uh, or are you just walking into rooms with people in lab coats going, do your thing, man. I'm busy though. So come on, come on. Yeah, uh, okay. I got, I got, I got, I got a, you got a you pill know. I can take. <laughs> 
I haven't picked up my phone in six minutes, dude. Come on. <laughs> you guys need six minute appointments, not seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Well, it, it, it certainly sounds like it's a far um, uh, gentler, more organic approach to um, being in touch with oneself. And that, that that's Fusion Health Radio. You know, yeah. Mindset, lifestyle, diet, exercise, mm-hmm. meditation, self-care, bonding, you know, everything. If you're not, I mean, Fusion, it's everything coming together. And yeah. acne is a really great invitation to find out how much of everything is involved in your particular acne and what you need to do about it and make it a fun thing because otherwise it's uh, a nervous attempt to fight against something that makes you feel shame. I mean, that that's, I mean, that's just a bad, bad dragon movie, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> there's fire and bad people and I, I look terrible and <laughs> yeah as, as opposed to the hey mom i got zits <laughs> this is great yeah that's, well, that's, i mean it, it kind of is because it could have been something way way more destructive yeah sure well it's it's interesting to see how uh there's a um a measure as to how uh hot red that dashboard light is lighting up you know from just little small uh, whiteheads over to what was that the, the the deep end of the scale cystic acne and yep cystic acne and then rosacea and then the more complex kinds of yeah like there's acne. it's um um you know your skin's just trying to get your attention while you're looking in the mirror and <laughs> brushing your teeth it's like oh hey there's something for you to pay attention to well would you look at that very cool um that brings up something else i didn't put this on my notes or maybe i did eventually check because i had this idea when i was crawling around this morning trying to <laughs> have a mini nap before the day began um it's called sleeping in michael yeah <laughs> that I, didn't happen i right? slept for 40 minutes but <laughs> at least i waited till the sun was up um anyway so oral hygiene is huge mm-hmm. when it comes to acne that could be a podcast in itself wow yeah i think that's a that's a just looking at the clock on the wall here, that's definitely another podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think we're like way over an hour, so yeah, uh, just a little bit. Uh, if you're still here, this has been. <laughs> thanks for listening, uh, and thanks for sticking through to the end of the podcast. Uh, this has been a pretty um, uh, in-depth discussion about uh, zit fits and zits and pus and all that kind of other gross, interesting stuff that happens on our skin uh, from Dr. Michael Smith's perspectives. Was there anything uh, else that you needed to say or you wanted to wrap up with today? Notice that if something is being treated with hormones and antibiotics and or antibiotics, and the story is that it's congestion in dirty uh, pores, there's a really big split in our thinking as to why we're using our treatments for our conditions. So this whole podcast is just to help you intimately reconnect for why Western medicine makes the decisions they do. Um, and why the lack of explanation and connection limits our chances to do more ourselves. I'm mm-hmm. not saying anyone's doing that on purpose. If you only got seven minutes to make decisions, you're just scribbling down, you know, prescriptions and good luck with that. Yeah. But as patients, you know, I think we just need to say, wow, that does tell me something really potentially potent. I could do way, way more about this, given the fact that no one's really paying attention to this really confusing pattern of behavior. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think you just said that we need to be patient as a patient. Yeah, that's why we're called patients. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great conversation today, Michael. Uh, Fusion Health Radio is a podcast that you can subscribe to uh, through iTunes or Stitcher or 
uh, Podbean or any other kind of uh, podcasty kind of thing. You can do that through your iPhone, through your Android device. You can listen on the computer. You can listen through our Facebook page. You can give us feedback, ideas, complaints, concerns, questions. Uh, point them all at Michael. I'm just the guy that helps him do this. <laughs> I'm not the doctor. <laughs> How's that for a good deflection? Um, <laughs> I, I just feel suddenly responsible for everything. <laughs> Michael, I got this zit. What do I do with it? <laughs> Send me pictures. Let me pop it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're just getting all silly here because the room has got uh, much less oxygen in it <laughs> than it did when we started the podcast. Uh, Fusion Health Radio, episode 31. Acne. What Hormones? Is it? Antibiotics? Yeah. Really? <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I forget what I'm talking about. Uh, thanks for talking today, Michael. It's been a great podcast. You too. And uh, next time it's going to be Toxic Mold. We finally got through the stuff I wanted to talk about enough that we're going to start doing some request episodes. Um, so we are listening and we're going to start uh, yeah, d digging into what your requests are. Sounds good. Uh, share this with your friends, folks, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cook well, eat well, and feel amazing. And look amazing, of course. <laughs> You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.